the You Can Learn Chinese podcast, part of the Seneca Network from the China Project. For everyone who's trying to learn Chinese or reaching for the next level, you came to the right place. I'm your host, Jared Turner, co-founder of the Mandarin Companion Graded Reader Series, and I've learned so much from my mistakes that I'm thinking of making a few more. My co-host is John Passon, co-founder of Mandarin Companion, founder of Allset Learning, the Chinese grammar wiki, Sinosplice.com, and thinks the first five days after the weekend are the hardest. So you want to get back into learning Chinese after taking a break? John and I are going to give you tips on how to get back into learning Chinese and make it an even better experience this time around. Guest interview is with Martina Fuchs, who started her career as an Arabic-speaking spy for the Swiss government and later became a TV journalist for China State Broadcaster CCTV. Let's get to it. Hey guys, this is Jared Turner, joining you from Utah here in the United States. Hi everybody, my name is John Pasden, and I'm here in Shanghai, China, as always. Okay, John, well today we are going to talk to all of those people out there who have taken a break from learning Chinese and have decided, hey, I want to get back into this, I want to pick this back up. Yeah, they might be listening to this podcast because they're getting ready, they're getting like mentally prepared to make the effort to resume their studies, right? But they haven't quite taken that first step, maybe. And you know, that first step sometimes can be the hardest. So today we are going to talk about this, break it down a little bit for you, and give you some tips on getting back into studying Chinese after you've taken a break. Yeah, and hopefully when you get back into it, um, not only is it you know, not painful, but it's better than it ever was before. And it's just, you know, smooth, fun, no regrets, smooth sailing. Well, I think the first step here, why did you even start studying in the first place? And this goes back to like your motivation. And, you know, go back and think about that. I mean, was was it because you had to take a class? Uh, was it required? Is this something that was personal interest? Was it because you were living in a Chinese-speaking environment. There could be a lot of reasons, but I think that's the very first step is look back and figure out why were you doing this in the first place. Yeah, and I've worked with a lot of learners and talked to them about their motivations for learning Chinese. And one thing I've found is that if you don't have a good motivation, if it's more of like guilt or maybe it's some element of the, the sunk cost fallacy, then it's just not going to go that well. So hopefully you have like a positive reason, something that really attracted you to Chinese and um, it's still there and it's still like tugging at you and you need to remember what that is. And that goes even on to the next step is that you may go back and, and reassess that reason you started learning Chinese, but the reason you want to learn Chinese now doesn't necessarily have to be the same. Our motivations can change over time. Your reasons why you want to learn now can be different than why you had started in the first place, and that is okay. And the whole reason that you're thinking about getting back into Chinese might be that there's some new situation that is kind of pushing you back towards Chinese, or maybe it's like, you know, a, a new reason to get back into it, and maybe it connects with the old one, maybe it doesn't, but, you know, use this new motivation and this new situation if it makes sense and if you still actually have that love for Chinese. And, you know, there can also be multiple reasons, and this is a good thing, too. There might be some reasons which are more prominent and more motivating to you than others, but that collection of reasons uh, is good. And the more reasons you actually have to learn, I would say the better. Okay, so hopefully you've reconnected with the whys, the motivation, but then you want to tie that into some uh, some smaller goals, right? 
Like uh, specifically, what do you want to be able to do with your Chinese? Where do you want to go with it? Yeah, goals are incredibly important because this is now where it's going to help you uh, connect what your reason, your motivation for learning into actual, hey, all right, this is this is what I want to do, and I'm going to be able to measure some progress by setting these goals. Right, so it might be going on a trip to China and you know accomplishing some things in Chinese. It might be having a certain conversation with a certain person. Might even be my less favorite, you know, HSK test related goal. Whatever, everyone has different goals, but、um, make them smart. Yeah, smart goals. That means smart and measurable and specific. And, 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 what, what is it? You can look them up, but they should be smart. Specific, yes, specific, measurable, achievable, and timely. Time, what is it? Time limited. Time limited, yeah, something like that. Timely. Anyway, time look limited, it up. Look time, it up. Time aspect, right? Very important because he, a lot of sometimes people will set this goal like I want to be fluent in six months and you know, three years or whatever. And how do you really define that? That's that's kind of a difficult term to define. All right, but Jared, we've talked about this quite a bit before, such as episode nineteen, how to find your motivation, and episode forty, how to set goals for learning Chinese. So you can also refer to those episodes if you want to get deeper into the whole goal aspect. Lots of good stuff in there. Okay, so you got your motivation, your why, you you've got a goal or two. The question is, how do you get into it in a way that is pleasurable and it works and it helps you reconnect with your love of Chinese? Well, I think the first step is making sure you start easy with things that you like. Yeah, so you're going to be reviewing, right? And don't review like the hardest stuff that you used to always forget. Don't just go back to like your most neglected. Flashcard deck with a thousand cards in it. Like go go for the kind of easy stuff, so you can give yourself some wins in the beginning. That's right. And one of the first steps really is kind of building a bit of that familiarity back with the language. And I think everybody's reference point is going to be a little bit different. There are some people listening to this who've been taking a,、uh, a maybe their break has been a month or two. Some people might be a couple of years. I've known some individuals who even took a break of like ten, twenty years before they got back into this. But yeah, try to get back familiar with the language, and I think that's why we're pointing you, saying, "Hey, start start easy," because、uh, you need to make sure you have a solid base that you're you're building off of for future growth. Yeah. So to give an example, I've known people that that were reading Mandarin Companion, graded readers, and they read level one, and then they got to level two, and they could read level two, but then maybe they took quite a bit of time off, like six, eight, even twelve months, and rather than just Picking up another level two, they went back to level one, one that they hadn't read, and it wasn't that hard, but it also wasn't that easy because they were so rusty, and they were really glad to give themselves that chance to just kind of, you know, be rusty and get back into it slowly. And I think the same thing also goes with like speaking. So if you, you know, you were able to achieve some level of a conversation in the language,、uh, I found that,、uh, gosh, John, you remember this? It was a few years back. I'd already been back in the states for a few years and hadn't really been using my Chinese a lot. And you're like, you're like, Jared, you need to do something about your Chinese.、Right. And I remember <laughs> you're right. I was trying to go talk to someone. I ran, I don't know, I, it was some random encounter, and I had the opportunity to speak Chinese, and it was kind of like really halted and and. Slow and I had to take pauses and everything, and I think part of that, and there may be a situation like this, and in relating it to individuals who are getting back into to Chinese, is that hey, don't beat yourself up for that.、Um, of course, it's great to have if you can have a more controlled conversation, maybe with a tutor or something like that. But hey, allow yourself to take pauses, 
allow yourself to maybe stop for a second if you need to look it up. That's okay. And it goes back to one of these, you know, axioms, I think, for just language learning and, and practicing in general. It's like, don't worry so much about embarrassing yourself. Of course, you're going to embarrass yourself and just embarrass yourself away, you know, if you have to. But just get out there and try and don't worry so much about making sure you're getting everything right. Yeah, but also start with relatively simple conversations. Don't like try to jump into politics or whatever was the highest level of possible conversation you'd achieved before, right? Absolutely. Okay, so we're saying start with stuff that is on the easy side for you. But when you think about Chinese, think about the different aspects of the language and what's most challenging for you, whether it's the tones or whether it's the characters. And sometimes people will take that really challenging part and make that like the central part of their studies, you know, like I must master the tones or I must acquire 500 more characters this year or whatever. Um, but if characters are really hard for you, then don't like just jump straight into characters. Like think of the language a bit more holistically. And like if it were me, I would want to maybe try reading something with some audio so that I can kind of read, but then also hear the audio so I can kind of cheat and I can kind of, you know, ease myself back into the characters, which maybe for me was a bit harder. You know, John, I'm thinking about this a little bit like a video game. A lot of times like these first person shooters, you can have really easy settings and down to intense nightmare settings and stuff in between. And I think that's a little bit what we're, we're kind of relating here is that, hey, you know, don't just jump in and say like, I used to be able to beat this game, you know, on the hardest level. Well, you probably won't at this stage. <laughs> so start a little easier here and what you're a little more familiar with and comfortable with. Right on, because you don't want to rage quit. You want to keep going. That's really important because if you do jump into some of this really hard stuff again, you know, motivation can be a bit fragile. Uh, you don't want to crush that. You know, foster that, get yourself some wins, and uh, that's motivating. It can keep you going. Okay, so you want to ease yourself into it. You know, start a little easy on the parts of the language that maybe are more accessible to you. But um, also, you, you got to be patient with yourself. So, it, it, you know, no one can say how long it's going to take to get back to the point you were, um, but you're going to have to be patient in order to get there. And if it takes a little longer than you thought, it's probably still worth it. So really, this is all kind of funneling into this next point, is that really start your studies with material, content, what a program, book, whatever it is. Start with things that motivate you not with things that discourage you. Yeah, I've known some learners that, that were using a textbook that was like the most boring, dry thing ever. And for some reason, it never even occurred to them that the textbook was hurting their motivation. And those people, if they took a break from Chinese, they might decide to go back to that textbook. So I would hope that most of you could put a little thought into that and Maybe the textbook was not helping your Chinese studies. And just think about what, what was motivating you or what is motivating you now and try to connect with that. You know, the great thing about taking a break is that it allows you to reflect upon your previous experiences. And, you know, you got that benefit now of hindsight. So just as John is saying is that, hey, I was studying this textbook and I hated it. Oh, I went through this program and it was just like boring. Or I was trying to read this book and it was just really difficult and slow. 
or I had this one tutor and I just did not connect with them and I didn't really want to keep studying. You do not have to go back and do those same things. <laughs> you can now analyze that and say, oh, yeah, all right. Let me try something different, you know, or I had met this one person, you know, they, they really enjoyed this and that seemed interesting to me. Or, you know, John and Jared in one of the podcasts, they mentioned this tip or whatever. You can try something different. Yeah, the, the really annoying thing is that sometimes it just doesn't occur to people. Like I, I've talked to people about their studies and they maybe blamed themselves for not being motivated enough, even though they were using a textbook that was killing their motivation. So it might not be totally obvious. You might need to kind of think about it a little bit. But um, if you do that, I think it's totally going to be worth it. You know, John, on this point, as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about all these uh, hundred or so people I've interviewed through this podcast there are a number of individuals who have achieved these high levels of proficiency that they use a variety of study methods, if you will. Uh, and when I say study methods, that's also just, you know, ways to practice and encounter the language. Yeah, I remember one guy, I was, he would kind of use some, some program or course or whatever it was he was doing to learn to study Chinese. And, you know, he'd use that for a few months and then he'd switch to something else. And he, he really enjoyed that, having access and using variety in his language learning approach, and that helped him kind of stay fresh and keep thing, keep motivated in learning. Yeah, to give a little example from my own life, um, I recently started watching some some kind of Chinese dramas, or maybe you could call them soap operas. I don't know. And I, I watch them not because I love the stories, but just it exposes me to language that I don't necessarily hear in my daily life here in Shanghai, like especially related to human relationships. But one thing I've been doing recently that's new is I started watching with my daughter. And so she was born and raised in Shanghai. So, you know, she's native level Chinese, but she's only 11, almost 12. And so I get to have these conversations with her about the relationships between the people. It's just really cool because I've never used Chinese for something like this before. And I think that leads into one of the the final points we want to hit on here is that, you know, consider engaging in some sort of activity that is going to allow you to use your Chinese. And John, that's a great experience right there, you know, using your Chinese to connect with your daughter. <laughs> and uh, that's a pretty cool experience. But I know it's probably not relevant to a lot of our listeners, but, you know, maybe a trip to China is something that uh, is in your future. Maybe it's something you've always wanted to do, or maybe you did it once long ago and you've been meaning to do it again. Definitely. There's an opportunities to, you know, make friends with different Chinese people, or you maybe are trying to pursue some sort of business contact using Chinese. You want to go to Chinatown and, and order in Chinese. There's a lot of stuff you could do. If you're Jared, you chase down every Chinese-looking person at a Chinese restaurant to find out if they're Chinese and if they speak Chinese. Exactly. And any any Asian person, I'd be like, ni hao, and they're like, uh, I'm Korean. So, <sighs> embarrassing. And, you know, if you can't make it all the way to China, um, there's online interactions you can have. There are people in your local community. Find some way to to make Chinese realer to you, to make it relevant. Uh, maybe you can do this better than you ever have in your studies before, and it can make a huge difference. And there are some people who just are interested in learning the language just as an intellectual curiosity aspect, and maybe they're not so focused on actually using it. That's okay. Um, most people want to do something with their, their language, so find ways to use it. And as you do, you're going to find uh, more motivation. All of your studies... Everything you're putting into learning the language is going to feel like it has more purpose. And frankly, you're going to get a lot further in your studies and in your proficiency level 
if you do. So hopefully this has given you some food for thought. Hopefully you're ready to take this next step. And remember, when you're ready, you can learn Chinese. All right, now it's time for a word from our sponsor. Today, our sponsor is All Set Learning. That's my company. It's a company that frequently cooperates with Manor Companion. Today, I want to tell you guys about a digital lesson pack that we have online, and we're offering a special deal for you podcast listeners out there. Exciting, John. Tell me all about it. Well, the course is called This Modern Chinese Life. It's all about life in China nowadays. Because, you know, we use WeChat and Alipay and DD and all these apps. Like, we use them every single day. But you don't see this stuff in a lot of textbooks. So these are 10 dialogue-based lessons. They're PDFs, they have vocabulary, and you have audio files for both the dialogues and the vocabulary. Wow, so this is modern, relevant life in China lesson stuff? Yeah, so if you're coming over to China, it's going to be super useful. If you're not coming to China, you know, it's still useful because we're all doing this over here, but it's especially useful if you're going to China. Wow, John, so where can I find this? All right, so if you go to allsetlearning.com slash YCLC, for you can learn Chinese, um, we have a page. So the digital lesson pack is normally $5.99, but we're offering a promo code for you listeners for half off. Half off! It's less than three bucks, guys. And, um, you know, you get these 10 lessons, PDFs, audio. It's a great deal. And uh, it's going to be valid for the month of November. John, that's a steal of a deal. Okay, and so to get this, you have to go to allsetlearning.com slash YCLC. And the code, the promo code, is YCLC2023. John, what's that one more time? YCLC2023. I think I'm going to go out and get that, man. So um, we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, just don't forget the promo code. You can take advantage of that. In the All right, we have a listener review, and this comes from Kirlion from uh, France, I believe. Hope I'm saying your name right. It says, first, I want to thank you for your excellent books that have helped me a lot in my journey to master the Chinese language in such a fun and enjoyable way. I'm definitely recommending all your books to my Chinese language classmates. I believe one strong point is that your breakthrough level is truly easy to read and uses high-frequency words. Some other greater readers featuring that level of characters often portray stories from folk tales, which might end up giving names of Chinese mythological mythological can say that John mythological figures instead of useful daily life words. It's easier to digest names like Li Ye and Cheng Fang Yuan than figures from myths and legends or long transliterated unnatural names that often come with translation. Please keep up the great work. Well, hey, well, thanks so much. We thanks for dropping us uh, an email there with uh, with some of that feedback. Yeah, I gotta say, I really appreciate that feedback because this is one of my like big things to want to avoid those crazy names, those crazy words. And that actually really affects the stories we choose. Thank you for this message. It it warms my heart. I, one of my favorites is uh, in Chinese, what uh, Sherlock Holmes' name is. Gao Ming. Well, yeah, that's our name. But like the Chinese transliteration is what? Formosu. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not Sorry. insane, right? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and it's not the most useful word, I guess. But um, eventually you might want to learn it. But, you know, for now, enjoying a story, you don't need that. All right, now it's time for rants and raves. John, what do you have for us today? Do you have a rant or do you have a rave? 
I have a rave. This is something that I can't really share because I couldn't find it on YouTube. Um, this is a video that my wife shared with me on WeChat. And uh, I don't know, maybe I can share it. But um, it's a Chinese video channel on WeChat called AI Xiaolao Di. And um, he's showing a conversation between ChatGPT in Chinese and the Baidu AI called Wenxin Yian or Ernie in English. And mm -hmm. the chat GPT is a male Chinese voice and the, the Ernie is a female Chinese voice. And they're having a conversation um, about uh, some Chinese social issues. And it really highlights the difference between the two approaches to AI. Super fascinating. Um, it's quite difficult, but um, it's really cool. Um, you know, AI is in the headlines all over the place, I know, but it's, it's uh, fun to see this particular development here in China. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, they have two phones. The one talking is the input to the other one, and they're just going back and forth. I don't know if you've seen that kind of thing before, but... Um, These AIs can have an endless conversation. Okay, so Jared, rant or rave? All right, I've got a rave. I think this is pretty cool. There's this video that's going around on Chinese social media, and it's uh, made its way over here across the sea here to the States as well. It's a video of Taylor Swift speaking in Chinese, in an interview, and her Chinese oh. is like amazing. It's like like native level. Well, it's it's a deep fake video, which is pretty amazing. I mean, uh, it has right, her out there, right. and she's saying something like, "Oh, I've been to all these places like Italy, France, and Japan." And she's talking about the songs that didn't get into her last album. And, and if you look at it, I mean, her mouth matches the words just perfectly. It's really good, but it's all AI produced. And what they did is they took like um, a video of an interview she had, I think, on Jimmy Fallon, The Tonight Show, and they translated it, and the AI regenerated and made her mouth match. <laughs> yeah, they cloned her voice, too, so it actually sounds like her voice. Yeah, I have seen this. It's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, but, there, man, there's a lot of stuff out there this uh, right now, and it's amazing what we're going to be seeing in the future. Uh, I remember it reminds me of, like, you know, when I was a kid watching those old kung fu movies that were, like, dubbed terribly and you know the the, the, the voiceover doesn't really match anything close to what their mouths are doing yeah and now ai can achieve the same effect from a native natural speaker and you could be speaking english and then ai could make it look like you're dubbed and even though you're speaking english oh okay yeah so you're like you you want to make me look like a bad kung fu movie right ai is gonna prank you down the road jared it's coming for you I'm Martina. I am from Switzerland originally. That's Martina Fuchs. My journey first took me to Africa, then the Middle East. I studied Swahili when I was 12, then Arabic. I was uh, going to university in Egypt and working in the Middle East for the Reuters news agency and jumped on the train east in uh, 2012 to work for China's uh, CCTV and then returned to Europe uh, in 2017. Now work as a freelance European business correspondent for Xinhua and I speak nine languages, including Chinese. When it comes to using language to connect, Martina is one of the best examples I've ever met. This interview first aired in January of 2022, but I hope you enjoy hearing her story just as much as I did. Stay with us.
Martina, I got to answer then the big question for us. Why did you start learning Chinese? I love languages. And uh, after having lived in uh, Switzerland until the age of uh, 22, um, we learned, of course, all the national languages, which includes、uh, German and French and Italian, and some even the fourth national language,、uh, Romanche. My first job into Yule was actually as a spy. A spy? For who? For the Swiss government, can you imagine?、Wow. They also have a spy agency、um, as a Arabic language、uh, translator. And、uh, I passed all the tests,、um, written and oral Arabic, but I failed the psychology test because they found out that I'm too. Extrovert that I can't really maybe keep secrets, but I really like communication and languages and going out there. So I started, you know, learning already at、uh, college and at university those kind of more exotic languages like、um, mm-hmm. Arabic and like Swahili and so on. But I found Chinese was always a mystery because they said that it was the most difficult language to learn, even more difficult than. Uh, Arabic, which has twenty-eight letters in、uh, the alphabet, and you have to, have to read and write from right to left, of course. So I really wanted to decipher and decode the、um, Chinese language. And after having spent five years in the Middle East, I found it was time to really uncover some of the secrets and and really challenge myself again. And so working for CGTN, the China Global Television Network in Beijing,、um, with. Chinese colleagues with Chinese cameramen was of course a jump into the cold water after the Middle East and all the news and, and reporting in Arabic. How does one make the jump to that? I mean, you were spending time in the Middle East, but I mean, how did you make that jump and say like, I'm going to China? You land a job working with a Chinese state broadcaster, for nonetheless, and I assume at that time, did you speak Chinese? Had you started learning? I mean.、Not- At all.、Oh, okay, so how did this happen? What happened? I was reporting from the UAE. I was covering a press conference at the Syrian embassy in Abu Dhabi when、uh, the Arab Spring was really、mm. breaking out and、uh, Syria was descending into a civil war. And there was a cameraman from CCTV helping me because I was working as a VJ with my camera set up, with my cables and everything. And so we got into a conversation in English. And he was like, "Oh, there are also Laois. There are also foreigners in、uh, China working for CCTV." And I always wanted to be on the wild side. I always wanted to do something special, be a pioneer, do something that nobody else has done. And I've always been a rebel back home as well. My parents、uh, had a pretty rough time, I would say, sometimes. <laughs> and so he gave me the phone number, landline back then. To the CCTV headquarters in Beijing, I called up one day, and then we had a phone interview for 15 minutes with、uh, the program producer there of、uh, Global Business. And、uh, three months later, I landed in、uh, Beijing, and I was just really blessed and lucky to witness the economic development from inside of a state-owned、uh, news agency. Well, what was this like? Because, frankly, you know, I, in my experience in China, there's there's not a lot of foreigners who have worked for Chinese companies, 
And then you take it a step further, not just working for a Chinese company, but a state-owned <laughs> company, you know, and, and this is your first foray into China. So what was this like? I mean, I, I can imagine it was a big cultural adjustment and the language barrier. So I mean, how did you navigate that? How did you begin to approach this? It was definitely a culture shock. And it took me four to five months until I actually could settle down and settle in as well into the new culture. Of course, absolutely different from the Arabic hospitality and welcoming with open arms. So I needed to build trust. Trust was really the magic stick for me. And I knew that I had to be patient. I knew that as a Swiss, I'm very open-minded, I'm multicultural, but speaking so many languages and having had my first job into you as a spy, I guess some people were also a bit cautious and uh, suspicious, right? Um, and then I just put in a lot of effort to study Chinese with the cameraman, starting not with um, pinyin, but really with the writing uh, of Chinese. And that helped, of course, to learn, make very fast progress. I spent maybe two or three hours a day at home um, whenever I couldn't understand something that the cameraman wrote to me on, on mobile, you know, text messages. Then I just looked it up on um, Pleco, of course, uh, the very mm -hmm. famous app that everybody, I guess, uh, is using out there. And uh, going on assignments across China, traveling with them from... Pakistan to Sri Lanka to South Korea, Mongolia to all the countries was really helping in terms of this cultural awareness, um, understanding, and also the cognitive empathy that we talk about so much, really being able to feel or try to understand how different people function, and not just in China, but all around the globe. So I, it sounds like you just had an immersion, really. When, what were some of those things that you were doing specifically? I mean, it sounds like you, know, you had a lot of little activities and stuff, but what do you think was maybe most helpful to you in, in actually like, hey, your Chinese is starting to get traction and, and really start to progress? Really being a reporter there on the ground, going out there, going to Chinese press conferences of, for example, Wang Tianlin, back then the richest man in China, the founder of uh, Wanda Group, spending a lot of time uh, with my Chinese friends. I didn't really have a lot of uh, foreign friends as well. Then going on these uh, reporting trips, right, all around China was definitely very, very useful. And I always, always tried to build different boxes in my brain because I speak quite a number of languages. So you have your German box, you have your Arabic, you have your Swahili, and I still practice them on a very, very regular basis. Like every morning when I uh, clean or when I wash, I listen to BBC Arabic radio. You know, in a couple of hours from now, after our talk, we have um, Swahili classes here at the School of Oriental and African Studies in, in, in London. So I just try to practice everything. But really, it goes down to a few basic facts and common denominators, which are, you have to be a chameleon. You have to adapt and adopt, change your colors according to the environment and be open-minded and make a lot of friends. Can you think of any times or experiences where you felt like you're Chinese, like you really had a breakthrough or a time where you feel you were, hey, now I can actually do something with my Chinese? 
it took me actually until I got out of China to really settle and understand how the language works and really make progress as well. Right now, I'm studying here uh, in, in London at the uh, LSE. They have a fantastic program. Of course, also using apps every day, like the Chairman Bao, like um, reading all the newspapers uh, that I've mentioned and the real important thing is to keep at it 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day, whenever you're waiting so many times on the tube or waiting for the double-decker bus here in London or in Zurich on the tram, you know, you have so much time when you think about it. So just using every opportunity. So is that why you feel like you've made a little more progress after leaving China? Yes, you need to be able to take a step out sometimes and get this distance to really reflect on the language and realize how the structure, how the vocabulary and everything works. Uh, the same thing with Arabic as well. Like I take Arabic classes every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. with my teacher in Sana'a, in the capital of Yemen. And you have to have this regularity and discipline is a magic word. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like you have really driven and focused on doing this. It's much more important nowadays, I feel, as well, isn't it? Because we can't travel easily because of the COVID-19 travel restrictions. So hitting um, the ground and learning in a country is getting more and more difficult. I was really lucky to go back to China last October uh, because apart uh, from my work as a journalist and uh, European business correspondent for um, Xinhua, I also work as uh, the international media ambassador for the very legendary Montreux Jazz Festival. And wow. uh, we organized it in Hangzhou in the digital capital of China for the first time. We were so lucky because we could organize it in the Sofitel Hotel um, in a very limited and boutique format. Only about 200 people were allowed. Um, of wow. course, because of the restrictions, um, we could only have musicians and artists from China. Um, but we had an exciting lineup of a um, inner Mongolian rock band. Some of you might know Hangai. We mm. had uh, an 11-year-old ukulele player. We had um, a guitarist from Brazil. And then, of course, um, a lot of artists uh, sending us virtual performances as well, so we could play them back. The setting was so similar to the Lake of Geneva. Um, the spirit of Montreux was there. So I could encourage everybody uh, to either come if they're in China in October 2022 this year, because we're planning to have it on an annual basis, or to tune in virtually because we have a partnership with NetEase, so everybody can listen to the live streaming. The Montreux Jazz Festival. Okay, For, for anyone who doesn't know much about it, I mean, it's like the premier jazz festival in the world. It's like if you're a musician, you're invited, you go. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. who you are. Are, right. Well, something I'd, I'd like to uh, delve into a little bit. You spent many years as a journalist there working for CCTV, but you when you got the job, you didn't speak any Chinese. Mm. And, mm. and it sounds like actually speaking Chinese was not a prerequisite for the job, because if it was, you, you simply wouldn't have gotten the job. And when you get in some of these roles or some of these things like how has actually being able to, to speak Chinese enhanced your ability to do the job? As a journalist, 
in any country, in any culture, it's the most important thing in order to understand the people um, and really establishing trust and getting access. And you are who you know. The network, the Guanxi, it's the most important thing. I'm from Switzerland, a country of banks, a rich country, but you cannot achieve the same things only with money. You need to know the right people. And so learning Chinese and, and speaking Chinese, even to some of you know the big shots in China, was really this kind of door opener. Wang Tianlin, back then, as I said, the richest man in China, he didn't speak a word of English. So um, even though I didn't speak it fluently, and probably I understood only 10% of what he was saying in the first one or two years, but you, you sit down there with him in his office and you try slowly but surely with a lot of patience to understand these people and so it helped me get not just access but start really understanding how the Chinese people tick. Well maybe you could pull back the curtain a little bit for us I mean a lot of people you know may not know what it's like you know to be a journalist in fact, most people don't, right? We maybe see people on TV or those are the people behind the scenes it's writing articles work. that we read or whatever. But what was that like working for a state broadcaster? And maybe even really? contrasting that to maybe what the experience might be like for maybe other colleagues or friends you have really? who work for different broadcasters who might have been other countries uh, that were not state media. Even compared to my previous job uh, when I worked at Reuters in the Middle East, of course, one of the most uh, well-respected news agencies in the mm -hmm. world, um, you were more neutral, even though I believe there's nothing like neutral because the choices you make in picking and selecting the interview guests and the background and the context um, and the sound bites and everything makes the story not neutral anymore. So you're always a little bit biased. But I was working in China as a business reporter and always knew exactly where the red lines were. So I never discussed politics. I never entered into this hot territory. I was absolutely aware of that. And I always tried to use interviews to raise awareness. Even today, when I interview the WWF or Greenpeace or, you know, Jane Goodall, um, when I have this sustainability and climate change topic in my mind, I, I want to spread this message to China and let people know about all these important uh, issues and what they can do about it. But it's everything from A to Z. You have to plan and prepare everything. It's not as um, fancy and glorious as it looks on camera, obviously. There is so much work. You spend one day um, at least for a two, three minutes story, but it's a passion. It's a drive and you feel like you can make a positive impact in the world by hopefully spreading news that can really change the world in a little bit. I try to hope so at least also i I'd like to know like in your in your roles uh, especially in china how has speaking all these other languages in what ways has it opened up doors or uh, provided other opportunities for you whether it could be in stories or access to people or just in, in some unique experiences you might have had along the way in cctv because they had 
a lot of different international language channels like uh, Arabic and French and Spanish uh, and English and so on. I was often called into the newsroom to actually translate, um, sometimes live even, for other wow. channels. And that was really a nightmare sometimes. <laughs> so I recall one special incident. I don't remember which... Um, speech it was by President Xi Jinping and he gave his speech and you can imagine it was quite long and I had to translate it from um, Chinese into French simultaneously oh no. Oh no. <laughs> on state television so that was really scary um, but I did it and I think I could be understood um, even though French is also not my mother tongue but <laughs> like some of these things where you just get pulled into um, last minute you can't say no and the pressure was real and I guess it was some you know night shift as well and um, I will always remember that one Oh man, that that sounds crazy. We had a we had a translator, sorry, a simultaneous interpreter at SI. It's different, right? And he said, uh, we had him on on the show once. William White was his name, and he said, actually, the hardest thing is exactly what you said: is when so a speaker is speaking from a prepared text, like something they've prepared. And I'm sure Xi Jinping was speaking from something that's already written. You know, because yes. they have time to think about it. It gets more in-depth, a little more meaty as opposed to something yes. speaking off the cuff. And it's like nightmares. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, also, I'd like to get your perspective on on just about Chinese, uh, the relative difficulty. I mean, you you speak, uh, you have nine languages. Uh, and I, I'm sure there's all little different levels of proficiency in those languages. Yes, absolutely. How would you rate the difficulty of Chinese in comparison mm. to learning some of the other languages that you've learned? Yes, Chinese is on top of the difficulty levels, absolutely, even compared to Arabic. Because mm. in Arabic, you have a lot of vocabulary that is religious. Um, you have a lot of colorful and picturesque words as well. And of course, the calligraphy and you write from right to left. Um, the grammar is very complex. You have a lot of different cases, uh, especially when it comes to verb uh, conjugation. But Chinese tops it all because <laughs> of the writing. And because for me personally, the four tone levels have been a struggle and if I could give some tips to our listeners out there, focus on your tones and the levels, because I found this is something I had completely neglected at the beginning. And now I spend a lot of time memorizing them. So it's a life school. Languages, even your mother tongue, you can never learn everything. Um, you don't know a lot of words. And, and of course, there is a specialist vocabulary as well in every language. So I tried with Chinese like with Arabic as well, to focus on business Chinese. What do you see as the future uh, importance of Chinese in the world and therefore learning Chinese? The most important thing and motivation should be to build bridges between East and West. That is definitely my main motivation and mission as well. Why do you feel it's important to build these bridges? Because with COVID and the social media bubble that we're living in, the world is getting decoupled even more. So only with learning 
languages and cultures, we can rebuild some of these. Because otherwise, you have such a different social media universe in China than in the West, and us not being able to travel back and forth and learning firsthand about other people and how they feel, it's going to be impossible. And it's so much joy to learn a different language. Um, you experience um, so much. And we do have, of course, Google Translate. We have AI language. We have natural language processing and all of these things. But you can never feel the same way than if you yourself really speak this language and have these experiences. So if you were to talk to someone who's just starting to learn Chinese or even just thinking about it, what do you think is the most important thing for them to understand about the language or about the culture that would help them as they're progressing in their learning journey? Take your time. That's the most important thing. Don't go with any stereotypes or any thoughts or any prejudgment. Be prepared. Do a, a lot of research beforehand. Um, read a lot of books. Um, do language classes, either virtually or in person, uh, to get ready and really absorb. Um, but time is really something everybody is short of. And we try to rush. Um, we don't have any discipline anymore. But it's really, really important to let the language and the vocabulary and the grammar settle. I would also not focus too much on the grammar aspect of things. So really learn the vocabulary and repeat it. What I found the most useful is to watch videos or television because you have the audiovisual aspect of everything. And then again, 15 to 30 minutes of learning languages every day is really the um, most important thing I would advise. Well, that makes a lot of sense. It's uh, the consistency, right? Yes. It's uh, the consistent a little bit every day. It's you don't eat an elephant in one bite, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Rome wasn't built in one day. That's it. Far from it. Far from it. I do hope that we can go back to China again more easily and watch out for the Montreux Jazz Festival. I hope that uh, some of you will be in the physical or in the virtual crowd again next October. Well, I tell you, what, we'll have to put a link in the show notes. You know, so if anyone wants to find out a little more about that, that'll be amazing. Uh, and, and I'm sure next year it's going to be even bigger and better. Well, Martina, thanks so much for being on this podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your experience and your perspective. I, this has been really interesting to me. Thank you so much, Jared. Great to see you again. You have been listening to the You Can Learn Chinese podcast. Help us spread the word by sharing this with your friends, classmates, teachers, cousins, tennis player, director, makeup artist, pit boss, statistician, rock hounder, and that one gal named Lisa. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share it with a friend. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. You can also reach out to us at mannercompanion.com or mannercompanion on social media. Apologies to John Cena. We just ran out of time. The You Can Learn Chinese podcast is produced by myself, Jared Turner, and our editors, Kaiser Guo, and our interview editor is Dominic Edgley. I'd like to thank our special guest, Martina Fuchs, and of course, thanks to my co-host, the man, the myth, the legend, John Paston. I'm Jared Turner. See you next time. <laughs>